What's up, my confidence queens? Are you ready to feel confident as fuck? I'm your host, the confidence queen herself, Alicia Lechuga, and I am your confidence bestie. I went from trying to shrink my body in order to find happiness and approval to finally letting go of dieting, others' opinions, and inspiring hundreds of women along the way. This podcast is all about confidence, living unapologetically as yourself daily, and ultimate self-love. This is Confident as Fuck. Hey, what's up and welcome back to Confident AF. I am here with a... Oh God, no. I'm going to redo that. I'm like, I was going to... It's okay. I'm literally the most awkward person with sometimes, no, but I I'm am. like, no, I'm literally here with a real life doctor. Um, <laughs> okay. What's up and welcome back to Confident AF. I am here with my friend Jen today. I am so excited to interview her. I would call her a brand new friend, but a friend that I met in a very untraditional way. So I'm super excited to have her on today. And she's also in the Long Beach, which is just ironic. And I'm going to let her tell you exactly what she does, um, but I'm excited to have her on today, talk all things birthing, ethics, and life as a mom. So welcome. Thank you. You're so welcome. Glad to be here with you. Yes. So tell us who you are, what you do. Give us a kind of like elevator pitch intro to you. Sure. So I'm Jennifer Dunatov. You can call me Jen. And I am a clinical healthcare ethicist, sometimes called a bioethicist. Okay. People might know that term. And I'm also a mom of three, a wife, live here in Long Beach, like you said. And I am really passionate about birth ethics and birth advocacy. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So we're going to get all into like, what is birth ethics? Like, what is, I don't, I already forgot your title. That's okay. I'm Well, I, my title is a clinical ethicist. Clinical so, ethicist. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get all into that. And I really want to dive into like, what brought you into that work? And um, also going to dive into some confidence things, um, which is how we actually got connected. So I want to tell you guys how we met because pretty interesting stories. So Jen and I met through a friend who... I met only one time. So um, I told this story on my Instagram, but um, my husband, Renee, and his two friends, Pops and Dusty, were at um, a restaurant here in Long Beach. We sit next to these girls who are like having a mom's night out. We end up talking to them, taking some shots, and never to see them again. Um, Fast forward to like a year later, and I'm getting my hair done. Who you guys know, Bailey, she um, posted it a reel of me getting my hair done, right? Like a funny reel, which was funny because we actually didn't even, almost didn't even post that reel because it took us forever to make it. So we post this reel and she says, hey, I think someone recognized you in the reel. And I'm like, what? Like, that's random. And she's like, yeah, this girl says that she met you at a restaurant in Long Beach (laughs) like a year ago. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm thinking like, did I make a fool of myself? Like, was I, (laughs) like, what happened? And then she's like, no, she said she met you at Bungalow and that you got, you ordered her table shots. I was like, yes, that sounds like me. And yes, I remember this girl. So insert Andrea who connects with me on Instagram. We end up talking back and forth for a few weeks. And then Randomly, Andrea says like, hey, I sent my friend Jen over to your page. She was talking about surfing and how much confidence she had to surf and put on the wetsuit. And um, I just recommended her to you. And I'm like, oh, perfect. So 
as I go to Jen's profile, I see she's a fellow podcaster. She's um, into birthing ethics. And I'm like, oh my God, perfect. Like we have to have her on the podcast. So love it. I love the story of how we met because it's so random. Um, But yeah, that's how we met. So our first time like meeting in person is today. Yes. And it's, it's so amazing. And I just love the randomness of it. I know. And then, I mean, obviously going to your profile and checking out all of your content, I'm like, this resonates so much. And what you're doing is so powerful and important. And I instantly just wanted to come hang out with you. So thank you. So thank you. Well, I'm happy to have you here. So, um, let's get into, um, let's do like, let's get, okay. You guys know I change weekly fate, weekly wins to what makes you confident this week, which doesn't really have that great of a ring to it, but, um, let's go into like what made us confident this week. And then got to find a cuter name for that. And then a weekly, our weekly fave. So do you have either of those? Yeah. Okay. So I actually have a really big one around the confidence Ooh, yes. piece. Love. I, <laughs> it's taken me many years to feel comfortable or even like a little bit comfortable speaking up in really mm. tough situations. And I had a situation at work this week where I actually like used my voice in a way that felt super hard and uncomfortable, Yeah. but I had like I was just like suddenly had the ability to do the thing that needed to be done to say the thing that needed to be said. And it was so freaking hard and uncomfortable. And then the next morning I woke up and it was like, I felt like a new person. So it was a big one. Like speaking my truth has not always been easy. And this was, this week was like huge in that area. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That could be very cathartic. Yeah. A hundred percent because it's like when you're sitting on something for like weeks Mm. and then finally like, I got to say the thing. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a similar one. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to say, but then um, I do, I don't know if you know this, but I do a lot of like admin, billing, accounts payable, mm-hmm. accounts receivable for um, my husband's business. So he has a trucking business and I run that on the back end. So Fridays are like my billing days, my collection days where I'm like calling people and I'm like, hello, like, hi, you haven't paid us or like, hey, we're sending over a bill. Like we're going to expect payment, you know, whenever. So I... um so today I had a new client who I had to call, I invoiced and then they had, they wanted to pay the invoice in 30 days or more hmm. versus what we require for like new people is to pay on their, um, like do upon receipt. Right. So until we establish a relationship. So I had to like stand my ground and be like, you know, cause this guy calls me and he's like, Hey, like, you know, um, I saw your invoice, but, um, you know, we typically pay on 30 days and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, we typically like require, a, you know, payment as soon as the job is finished. And he kind of tried to, in a way be like, oh, like, have you guys done these type of jobs before? And he didn't say it really condescending, but then after I got off the phone, I was like, that was kind of like, he was kind of like, I think saying like, okay, this isn't the norm, mm-hmm. like to collect not on a net 30 And I was telling Renee, I was like, I just had to keep repeating like the same thing basically and be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, that's great. But you know, we do require it to be paid now. Yeah. And that takes a, even though that's like something kind of small to stand up and to say like against someone who's like, Hey, like, you know, do you even know what you're talking about? Like Mm -hmm. actually net 30 is like pretty normal Mm -hmm. or to, and to ask repeatedly to pay it. And he's not saying I don't want to pay it. He's just saying I want to pay it in 30 days. Um, That took a little bit of confidence for me to do because I think I'm so confident in so many areas, but, and I'm confident being on the phone and sending emails, but 
in Renee's business because it's not my, it's not my like area of expertise, right? Like trucking construction, definitely not something where I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't, Mm -hmm. but I do know like this, my business, I send the invoice, you pay it. That's it. Like, you know, um, so I'm not usually as confident in his business, but I had to be like, okay, I'm going to keep repeating this. And I was having that like internal dialogue, like, no, don't agree to let him pay it in 30 days. Like, do not, (laughs) definitely do not agree to that right now. Um, So that was my moment of confidence this week as I was like, okay. And I think like maybe when I check my phone after this, maybe he will have paid. Um, Let's hope so. His accounts payable department called. So that's a good sign. So I'm like, hopefully that means payment is in transit good for you yeah I mean and isn't it interesting how people like subtly like Mm -hmm. insert the you may not be competent piece Mm -hmm. like that little manipulation I think whether people are aware of it or not that they're doing that conscious or not yeah it's like that I mean I'll speak for myself it's like sometimes that's like that little piece that just like unravels my ability to like really stand there and like stand my ground and so and it's so small and subtle yeah yeah and it's like um I think Sometimes, too, I think that people, they may think this or they may not, I don't know, but, like, I'm the wife of the business. So a lot lot of companies that are like us or small like us um, have that, where the wife is doing, like, the billing or Mm -hmm. the receiving or the admin or the scheduling or whatever. Um, But I don't ever want to be taken, like, lightly in that position. Like, oh, it's just, like, the wife that's doing that. Like, no. Like, I am, but I'm also like, I will be on you to make your payments or to Mm -hmm. do whatever. I'm not going to just, I'm not lackadaisical or like, I don't know what's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I am very involved. Actually, I was having somebody on my VA, I was having her send out invoices and help me with his business. And I took it back because I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I need to be like a hundred percent in that business to understand and to like be competent speaking to people. So yeah. That was a big, uh, big like confidence moment for me. That's huge. That's Thank huge. You. We have to celebrate those things, even yes. if they don't feel big. Yeah. Like I find myself being apologetic sometimes. Like, oh, this isn't really that big of a deal. Yeah. But I did this thing. It's like, no, I did this thing that used to be really hard for me. Yes. And it was still hard, but I did it anyway. Yes. Yeah. That little second of being like, oh, this is like, I want to go back and do what I've always done. Or like, I yeah. don't want to do this. Or I want to like agree to let him pay it in 30 days. Mm-hmm. And being like, nope, you know, I'm not going to do that. That, like, little switch is where you find the progress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yay. Okay, so we'll do a weekly fave. I don't know mine yet. I know mine. Mine's, like, most of my weekly, my fave most weeks. I love, have you ever been to Aroma Daroma on Second Street? No, I haven't, and I drove by yesterday. That is my jam. That is my place. Like, I have been going there for years. Amazing little coffee shop in Long Beach. Totally authentic coffee and all the things. Amazing, amazing people. And it is like, do you have places in your life, like different environments where like your creativity is just like Mm, on mm -hmm. fire? That place for me is where I like get all my writing done. I've like designed courses there. Yes. And it's just like the energy, the food, the coffee, the vibes, the people. It's, it's like one of my happy places. So I love that. Yeah. So that's your fave? It's my fave. Yeah. I drove by yesterday and it was early. It was like to be like eight maybe maybe earlier um coming home from Pilates on second and it was it was packed yeah in the morning and I was like wait like is this because they were gonna close during the pandemic no and then they yeah they they said no right they like came back they came back they were like one of the first to like 
sort of opened back up. Okay. Like, they still, people were, like, coming in and out. So I think, I don't know if they ever, like, fully, they might have fully closed for, like, that hot minute we were mm-hmm. all freaking out. You right, know? yeah. But they were, like, up and running pretty soon. Oh, okay. Yes. I thought, yeah. I, maybe I'm thinking of a different place, but I thought I saw that, like, they weren't going to be in business mm. anymore. And then they were like, nope, we're coming back. Like, wow. so maybe. Maybe. I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of a totally different place, but. <clears throat> yeah. I do know the coffee shop. Yeah, it's about. really good. It's good. Mm. Good people. I think my fave this week. Hmm. I think my fave has to be. I think my fave has to be like, it's not an actual product, but it has to be like getting back into connection mm. with people. I've been feeling kind of like, I think I'm the summer and like, um, having so much going on this summer, it's like really speeding up. And, um, I've been like every single weekend, every single week as I've been like jam packed with social activities. And so last week, I'm trying to think what week we were in. Anyways, last week I was feeling like, and early this week I was like, I don't want to talk to anyone. Like mm. my friends are voice messaging me and I'm like, Mm-mm, like not connecting. And it feels it feels like a stark, con- it was feeling like a stark contrast to like maybe even just like a week ago when I was like wanting to connect with everyone, sending voice messages, reaching out to people on Instagram, you know, in this like high connection phase I was. And then I just was like, oh no, I don't want to talk to anyone. But towards the end of this week, I've been like back into like being able to connect and mm-hmm. like not letting it be like, you know, when you get in that uh, mood where you're just like, I don't want to. I don't want to interact. Like, absolutely. I don't want to interact. <laughs> absolutely. Like, I don't want to be on for anyone or anything. Yes. Cocoon mode. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't read, like, DMs. Like, I don't even want to look, look. I don't even want to look. That's I don't want to so respond. common with, yeah. with us on Instagram and, like, yeah. coaches or anyone who has a, a presence on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's so common. I literally was just talking to someone else about this, about how they were like, I don't even want to look at my DMs. I don't even want to get on Instagram because I have yeah. too many. And it gets overwhelming. Yeah, I've gone through phases like that where like I've rare like barely looked for like a week or two because I've just been in that total like I don't ca- even care in this moment mm-hmm. zone about social media. But then also like I'm addicted, so I yeah. have to like check in here and there and get that hit. But um, but there are times where my posting's like super consistent, and then for the reasons you're describing. Mm-hmm. I don't post a thing for like, yeah. I know that's bad business, but I don't post a thing for like a week or two. And I, you have to like step back sometimes. You do. Yeah. And I think what we, for like, before I was doing this as like a full-time business, I failed to realize that like, we're, when you're on social media and you're, especially when you're interacting with a lot of people through DMs, and especially if you're like a content creator, you're getting a lot of like DMs and you're getting a lot of reactions and a lot of, um, interaction online. And we're not really supposed to have like that much interaction with that many freaking people on a day-to-day basis instantaneously. You know, it's like you're holding space for so many people's different emotions. And especially like in the lines of work that we're in, like people are in vulnerable states. People are bringing up like tons of different like energies to you. And they're like, you know, they're spilling their guts to you and you have to like, hold space for that yeah you know and that's hard to to do and not feel burnt out sometimes absolutely the energy thing like Mm -hmm. to take on other people's emotional energy while you're trying to manage your own yeah is a really significant thing and like it's funny because like I think 
you know, I'll speak for myself, but like I'll, I can know like rationally, like I need to take a step back mm-hmm. and like create that space for myself. But I know if I don't do that, my body's going to do it for me. Yes. Like today I have no energy. Like I feel shut down. It's like a physical thing where I don't even have, like, I can't even be present if I want to. Right. So I know that if I don't like create that space for myself, like in an intentional way, my body's just going to do it automatically for yeah. me. Or the universe yeah. is going to do it for you. Or the universe is going <laughs> to freaking do it for you. <laughs> With me, that's usually in the form of like a kid gets sick mm. and the next kid gets sick and then I have three kids. So like, like that domino effect. Yeah. And so I have no choice but to take a break for like right. two weeks because everyone in my house is like, different stages of sickness yeah yeah that just happened last week with um Allie was supposed to come down last Saturday and so it would have been like I went to go speak at her event in San Diego the week before Mm -hmm. then last week she was going to come here the next week I have your interview I also had um I have a speaking engagement tomorrow then I have all the podcast girls coming here tomorrow and then Tuesday we have her virtual event so like it was going to be like a lot and she messaged me on Friday and she was like, hey, I'm like not feeling like I want to come down there. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I might be sick. I'm not sure. I just feel like I hit the wall. Like my body is not feeling it. And I was like, thank God, dude, because I feel the exact same way. Yeah. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like the universe was just like, no, like mm-hmm. they're like, no, sit down, relax, do something else, like chill. And it forces you. But I think, um, I think the universe always does that, but us picking up on the clues gets easier with uh, intuition Mm -hmm. and like listening to ourselves and clearing our mind. And because Mm -hmm. I think that the universe was sending me those signals has been sending me those signals all my life, but I've like never listened. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I always say that to my friend. I'm like, do you, don't you wish like 23 year old self, like had the developed intuition that, I mean, I'm, I'll say I'm 43. So like, clearly that for me, that's like, yeah. we're talking a 20 year span, but I think back to that girl and I'm like, I wish you just had like a sense of the intuition that I, and I'm not saying I'm fully there, but like just that awareness that yeah. I have now. Yeah. Then, oh, game changer. Yes. I was just editing whose podcast. Oh, I was editing Teresa's podcast and we were on, um, she let me swipe on her tender and she's like, let me like play around when she was talking about being single as a, um, as a business owner and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how hard that is and to manage your time. And I was telling her, I was like, I wish I could go back and date as a like 21 to 23 year old. I wish I could like have the knowledge I have now as like, like 18 to 23 year old me. Yes. Like, I, I mean, I love the relationship I'm in and that's what I was saying last week, but I'm like, I wish I could have been so much smarter because she was saying how she was like, I had this guy that I was talking to and I was just like, we didn't end up, didn't, we didn't end up wanting the same thing. So we just called it off. And I was like, how freaking adult of you? Because no kidding. <laughs> I was literally like, I would have never I done that. dragged that shit on and like, you know, yes. <laughs> that would have been a dumpster fire that yes. like went on for a year. Exactly. If, if it was 21 year old. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like that. Oh, wait, that was my relationship at 21. <laughs> like, oh, wait, you don't want to be with me? Oh, well, too bad. Like we're, <laughs> we're still doing this. Like I'm going to hang on for dear life. So I was just like, wow, wouldn't it be interesting? interesting to go back and like have the knowledge even in so many scenarios but like dating and like just life in general like could have like the perspective and like the growth and like the what was the other word that you use the intuition intuition yeah like hello yeah but you know that's why they say like 
the older that you get. You know, that's why our parents were saying the things that they were saying. I know. And we're like, oh, God, now we're then. Like, it's like, happening. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so we're going to get into everything about you. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your work. Let's talk about confidence and kind of like standing up for yourself in the workplace. But at first, let's start off with what brought you into your current field. Mm so random I (laughs) I'm a creative person at heart so I started out creative writing and music like as so when I first went to college I was um a music major really and I was trying to get into creative writing so what instruments did you play flute I played the flute okay yeah so obsessed from the time I was like in the fifth grade to like college like that was my music was like my life wow so I was and writing music and writing okay and I've kind of resurrected the writing which is really fun and cool and kind of a new thing I've got going on um but I was like I started at university doing doing that kind of thing and then I took this random class in religious studies because I was just kind of interested in like world religions and whatever yeah so I ended up like pursuing that more and, and I took an elective in, it was called bioethics, which is the same thing as healthcare ethics. Okay. And so random because I had no interest in healthcare, <laughs> but I had a lot of interest around like, where do people find meaning? And I think mm. that was, came from like the religious studies piece. Right. Okay. And like, what's important to people? Like, what are people willing to like die for? How do they make their decisions? Like what's, what are our values? And like, how do we make decisions based on our values? So it was kind of like that. I got really into philosophy and like meaning of life stuff. Yeah. And so I took this class in bioethics, which is all about like reflecting on ethical issues and values and stuff in the context of healthcare and then like biotechnology. So what is biotechnology? So biotechnology, everything from like genetic engineering to, yeah, like, um, well, I, my background's kind of in the genetic stuff, so that's where I go to first. Okay. But bio, obviously body. I'll just use an example. Like my dissertation is on what's called human animal chimera research. And it's the blending of like, there are research facilities that like blend human and animal stem cells to study like disease progression. Oh, okay. And so the ethics of that is like, should we be doing should this? Be doing you know, that? just, yeah. that's a big piece of ethics in healthcare. Gotcha. Is like, okay. Just because we can do this, should, should we, we do this? I see. Okay. Like we, so in the United States, like bioethics and healthcare ethics started in the United States because we have so much technology, money, mm-hmm. advance, advancement over the decades in healthcare. So, um, you know, we have all these new technologies and like one of the, you know, people started asking just because we have like this ventilator or we have this like crazy new experimental thing, should we be using it for all people in all these different mm-hmm. situations? Or can it even, can it actually be harmful to them? Right. And we need to like put the brakes on. So this whole field of bioethics emerged like as technology's advancing, right. as medicine's advancing. And they're like, we kind of need people to like step in and be professional ethicists to like help us walk through like these decisions and stuff. Right. Okay. So, so I'm a clinical ethicist. I work for a large um, healthcare system that has hospitals like in four or five different states. And um, I work in Southern California um, between about 11 different hospitals. And so I help doctors and nurses and all kinds of healthcare professionals um, with ethical dilemmas in medicine. So we work on patient cases. We, um, you know, a lot of cases like, you know, it's it's a bummer of a topic, but like a lot of end of life stuff, mm-hmm. like this person's dying just because we have this technology should, like, is it appropriate for this patient? Right. That kind of stuff. So that's also like a lot of heavy energy. Yeah, it's intense. Like I, 
it's funny that you bring this up because I used to like round in ICUs in our hospital, like the intensive care units really consistently. Yeah. The last time I went, I had to walk out because I don't know if it's like pandemic life, like I'm used to working at home so much, yeah. but when I walk and I'm really like an, emp- uh, like I'm an empath at heart, I think. Right. So when I walk into a space like that, I can only take so much. Yeah. Like the nurses, I res- mad respect for, for nurses. Sure. If you're a nurse out there, oh my God nurse, doctor, health, anyone working in like direct patient care in a clinical setting, that's intense stuff. It is. So my one little hour like rotation when I go in to check on our cases, that's a, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of like, you know, I go talk about taking time out for yourself. Like I drive home and I don't want to talk to anyone for like two days. Yeah. 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 Well, Renee's dad has been in the hospital like more recently and, um, there's some crazy energies in there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on and, um, I guess I haven't been in like a hospital hospital setting with someone who's sick in since probably like my grandparents, Mm -hmm. you know, were sick or my Mm -hmm. great grandparents actually. And so being in there, I was like, Oh, me and Renee were both like, wow. It's like, there's some, you know, you go into different wings and different hospitals. He was at a few different hospitals and I'm like, it is dark in here. Yep. Like, you know, they're talking about like this person's going to die and this person already is dead. And like Renee and I were just like, what the fuck? Like it was weird. Yeah. So I definitely, like you said, I made me have a total new respect for like nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. anybody who's in there on a daily basis. Like that's a lot of heavy energy. It's a lot. And a lot of people are leaving healthcare in general. Yeah. Like I think that was like pretty well known like throughout mm-hmm. COVID. Yes. Um, depending, you know, when things were really intense and like, you know, locked in hospitals, like no one's going in or out. Right. It's just like you're going, you're in and you don't That's know what to expect. That's even more intense energy. Yeah. So a lot of people like they got so burned out. And like a lot of the work that I do now is um, addressing people. I'm not a psychologist or a trauma expert, but um, a lot of our ethical issues stem from like this trauma, this PTSD that right. people are still experiencing because of the last wow. providers are still experiencing. So it's a really tough time in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have left. It's so crazy. I feel like such a ripple effect from COVID and like that won't even like, it's not like it's, we just thought we were just saying like, you know, like we thought it was going to be like, you know, two weeks or something like that. And then it's like, not only did it last longer, but now it's like the ripple effects are like cemented. They're not going to like go away. Mm -hmm. It's almost like something which I think you know, this is obvious, but it's going to be something that's like in the history books that like of how impactful it was, like not only just the like COVID virus itself, but then like the impact that it has on our culture and the impact that it has on like how people interact. Like you said, like I used to being at home. Yeah. Like, I mean, it really is crazy. I mean, if you think of, if you like, talk about like meta but if you like literally like (laughs) zoom out for a second you're like holy shit like our whole entire world has fucking changed yeah it's it's crazy absolutely changed like I still have an office that I could technically go to but the thought of getting in my car and commuting like that old commute yes it's in Irvine like if you're local to Southern California like it's the distance between Long Beach and Irvine and I have a beautiful office there like in an office building but it takes like everything I have to check in like once a month because sitting in my car, I'm used to being in my little bubble at home. Mm-hmm. I can walk outside. I'm not going to, now I go to this hermetically sealed like office and I've got to like put on uncomfortable shoes. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it's no, so different. I think about the how much I used changed. to drive. Yeah. 
and I hate leaving Long Beach now. Really? Like I, yeah. like I will go to like LA to see my friend. I'll go to Orange County like yeah. to see my other friend, but I'm going like once every like three months. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not going like I, and I used to go daily. Yeah. To, like, like no big thing. No problem. Yeah. We traveled this summer. We went, my yeah. husband's family's from Eastern Europe and we traveled with our three kids eight and under this summer and talk about an energy like situation. Drain. Like I <laughs> coming home, I was like, literally no one touched me or talked to me yeah. for two weeks. It was, you know, I, it was intense because I'm not, I guess not around like my nieces and nephews are, um, both, well, two of them are grown and then the other ones are in Texas not like around kids on like a daily basis to really like realize how much energy they really consume. Oh my God. God, I was with my nieces and nephews and I love them so much. Um, but Holy crap, I was exhausted and I wasn't even like, I was ignoring them part of the time because I was like, (laughs) not my responsibility. I was like, dude, you're at your mom's house. Like I'm not And my sister is like, Oh, do you want to do like bath time? I'm like, hell no. I don't want to like so much energy. And like, I was just like, oh my God, I for like, I didn't forget. I just never realized like how yeah. much they are a lot of energy. They mm-hmm. are a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of, um, what's the word I want to use? Like they ha- almost have like unlimited energy. They do. They wake up <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, they're if really I had nuts. that energy when I woke up, like yes. there would be world peace, yeah. cures for cancer. Right? <laughs> like they just get up and go. It's, it's insane. It's amazing. But That's also, so like, when you want time out for yourself, yeah, it's that, for me, those are some of the toughest moments of motherhood. It's like, I know I need to be a mom right now, yeah. but all I want to do is be alone and not have responsibility for anything. Yes, that is really hard. Yeah. That's a hard, like, I feel like line to, like, walk because, mm-hmm. like, you have to take care of yourself, you have to do self-care, but, like, at the same time, you're like, these are my kids. Like, I have to give everything to them or I have to, like, yeah. they're so small. Like, they don't really know that you really – they don't grasp that concept of, like, mom needs her own time and it's nothing against me. Like, that's, like yeah. – I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's asking kinda... for help, too. Like, I'm not always good at asking for help. Yeah. Like, shout out to Andrea again who got us connected. But yeah. I was telling you earlier, she's my neighbor and, like, she is one of those friends where – I, all I need to do is call her and like, she would be there to support me, but I'm not always good at the asking yeah. like, for help in life in general. Yep. And so I'm, I'm really working on being okay with asking for more help when I need it. Yeah. yeah. That's hard too. It's really hard. Yeah. I had to ask Michelle for help this weekend and I was like, can you please come over and like, for me to even be like, hi, can you please come over and come to this early because I need you to set up the party for me, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell no. I would have never asked no. that like a year ago. And then like even I remember I had a birthday like a few years ago and a few years, I think I was like five um, and my friend was supposed to make a cake and like I never even I never asked her. I think she offered, but she ended up ghosting me on the day of the party and like, but I just like let it slide. I wasn't even like, hey, like, are you coming? I just like, (laughs) like for me, her name was like, my husband's like, uh, like, are you going to like is she coming? Like, do you know, like what time is she supposed to be here? I was like, I don't know. He's like, are you going to like text her and ask her? I was like, no, mm. no, I'm just going to like, I'm, I don't want like what, what's going to happen if I ask her? That's yeah. so dumb. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I can't even ask. He was like, she could probably like help you set up like all the stuff. And I was like, no, like you got this. Yeah. yeah. So weird to ask for help is like so hard, but are you yeah. the, how many, uh, 
I was going to say how many kids, but that's not what I meant. How many siblings do you have? I have one. I have a younger sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same, same as me. Yeah. Yeah. The she's... older sister syndrome, I think, is like oh, it's real. never asking for help. It's and... real. And like my, my son, my oldest son, like I'm always like super aware of like that dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to like make yeah. him feel like he's responsible for everything. Yeah. Like, refl- And that's another thing about like the intuition stuff and like reflecting on your past and as you get older and all that is, you know, it's like, okay, what did like, how do I want to do things differently with my kids? And some of that stuff though, like, I think they are just freaking born with, like he is like the most responsible little creature. And I'm sure like he feels the need to be responsible too, because of the way that I've mothered him. But also like, I swear firstborns are just born that way. (laughs) I think it's like kind of innate because how could you be, a firstborn and like you have someone younger than you, then you're that you're kind of like, it's kind of like intuition to be like helping and like, you know, Mm -hmm. that we also like, you know, they always say like, give them response, let them have responsibility, you know, like let them help you with stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't envy any parent because I'm like, I know that shit is so hard because I was literally just thinking about something today where I was like, I think it was like, a sentence that I would probably have said to, I don't know even who this was to, but the sentence came into my head and I was like, Oh my God, I think we were talking about, Oh, my hair's stuck. Um, talking about, what? Oh, it was a podcast. It's two sisters who have a podcast It's called okay sis. And I've been like, um, really obsessed with it lately because they're both like, um, they're both a little bit younger. They're like, um, female founders. Um, anyways, so I'm, in this podcast, one's older, one's younger, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so their dynamic is pretty funny because it actually reminds me of me and my sister. And she was saying, um, she was saying something and they were saying a sentence of like the younger sister was saying that she wasn't like being very responsible. And the older sister was like, I always had to be responsible for you. And there was like mm-hmm. this dynamic that I, it just was like, how can you like, um, we say these sentences and I think they're like so well-intended. I'm like, I swear the sentence is going to come out guys. I just haven't, I'm dawdling around it because I don't remember the fucking sentence, but (laughs) the sentence was something like, like, Oh, make sure you're setting like a good example for your younger sister or like Uh something like that where we, we we do it like, because it's like what was probably like said to us. And we think that it's doing this good thing. But it also like shapes the way that our kids grow up. I mean, Mm -hmm. I noticed doing it with my niece because Mm -hmm. she was, my niece is the younger one and she's, oh my God, she's like the chunkiest little baby. She was so chunky. She loved food. And I love that about her. And she would just like, she loved food so much. I mean, you could never catch her without a snack in her hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like fiercely independent. And um, I love that about her, but I was like calling her like, little like chunky you know whatever and then I was like oh my god like (laughs) hello like this is where this comes from like this is where this comes from and I'm like she's was two at the time but like those get ingrained in us they do I see that happening with my middle son because like all three of my kids are so different my my little girl is like a teeny tiny thing my oldest is like just kind of average, whatever. Mm -hmm. And my middle guy, like he's his own little, like I, I used to squeeze him. I'd be like, you're like my little marshmallow, you know, like my, and I re like, I started catching myself saying that, but what I'm navigating, talking about speaking up and like, like how hard that can be is when other people will make comments and like my mama lion stuff will come out, but also sometimes it's really hard. Like if a family member says something like squeezes his stomach and like, Hey, you need to lay off the popsicles or something. Right. Like, 
that's a whole new dynamic I'm learning to navigate. It's like, don't talk about my kid's body. And I catch myself doing the same thing. Like it's catching yourself and then also being able to stand up for your child in knowing that that can shape and like the way they're going to think about their bodies. Yeah. And then it's also this fine line too of like making them resilient, right? And like making sure they have resilience where like even if someone says that, right, like doesn't mean you have to believe it. And um, just I when I think about those sentences, I think a lot about um, in like Hispanic culture, it's very common to give nicknames and you give nicknames based on like how you look. Mm -hmm. And um, so like there's in Renee's family, there is like Pallone, which is like Baldy. So Mm. he had no hair when he was a kid. So Mm -hmm. they called him Baldy. Like they have Renee who's like his look like a frog, I guess. So they <laughs> called him Rena, like, like Renee, Rana, like Rena's frog. Like, um, they have like these random names, but they're all revolved around how you look. Mm. Um, there's another one that's like, like very common to call like the fattest kid, like, um, like a fatty or like mm-hmm. a gordita, like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like it's like, and that's like normalized, but I almost wonder sometimes if like, like, do those things make you, they could go either way. Like it can make you very resilient or it could also make you like very resentful or like very mm-hmm. like, like shell, like a closed into your shell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, is it the, to me, I feel like, is it the words that we're saying or is it the, like what's coming with the words, right? Oh, that's interesting. Like, like the, like the expect the, like the way they continue to like interact with you based on that uh-huh. like is it and how that kid absorbs it as part of their identity right or not. Yeah. yeah because Renee has three in his family right so he's three uh-huh. boys he's the middle child mm-hmm. too and so he like all three of his brothers are vastly different and mm-hmm. or all three of them are vastly different and different in the way that they like react to things like that right mm-hmm. like so not me not me mainly name calling but like just more like criticism or um or hard situations right especially with like Renee's dad going through all this stuff and um like watching them react Mm. is interesting because I'm like they all had the same mother they all had the same father so is it really like it's to me I feel like it's almost more like how the parents interact with them Mm -hmm. versus like just their just those words by itself yeah like how are they continuing to reinforce like whether that's a negative thing or right yeah 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 food restrictions something like okay you've got this pet name that's related to your weight maybe you're a little chubby or whatever right and then also now am I gonna like say things to you like you've had too many snacks right you're gonna puff up or you know Mm -hmm. whatever I've heard it all from you know as a child and then also yeah people's comments to my my child yeah yeah because it's like okay, yes, like, that word can be, like, taken one way, but then it's, like, as a kid especially, you're, like, wait, so is that why these friends aren't playing with me? Or is, Mm -hmm. like, is that why, is my mom embarrassed of me? Is that why she's having me do X, Y, and Z, right? So, like, I feel like it's so, yeah, parenting must be really freaking hard. I'm exhausted just talking about it. (laughs) I know, I'm exhausted, too. I'm, like, oh, my God. It is. Well, this is what makes it hard is like you're constant. like, I'll, again, I don't want to speak for all parents. I'll speak for myself. But like my experience is like you're getting by like just like the nuts and bolts of the day, like uh-huh. survival, like yeah. got to feed and like right. clothe and bathe this human. Right. But then there's this layer of like 
I've got to teach you to be a good human. I've got to check myself constantly. Yeah. That's what gets exhausting. Yeah. Like, I'm not only keeping you alive, but I'm also, like, trying to teach you to interact a way in the world that's, like, kind to other people and also kind to yourself. And yes. that's the stuff they don't, you could never, I don't think you can Until teach you're, it. like, in it. Like, I, oof, it's, it's a whole thing. So, um, hmm. but you know what? Like, nothing has made me more confident, resilient, and, like, more... Like, and it has shaped my identity in a positive way than, than being a mom. Yeah. Which maybe sounds cheesy and cliche and all those things, but no, it's but absolutely true. it's a forced true. growth. Yeah. Honestly. It's a forced, absolutely It's forced a forced growth. growth. Yes. And I'm all about forced growth because, yeah. I mean, we really don't have to grow. We can literally stay stagnant. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so easy to just stay stagnant. It's not fun and it might not be, like, it might cause you other issues, but mm-hmm. to stay stagnant is so easy. Like just to chill, not do anything. Um, And so many people do that. But like motherhood, no matter how you take it, it is a forced growth because Mm -hmm. like you said, you're checking, you're constantly checking it unless you're a psycho, like you're constantly checking in if you're doing okay with your kids, but that all falls back on you as the parent. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly checking yourself, which is Mm -hmm. growth. It's checking in with yourself and seeing like, can I do something like different or am I doing something okay? You yeah. know? And then it forces you to like reflect on your own childhood, oh God, which yeah. is like, a whole- <laughs> <laughs> like oh, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Thank God for therapy. I have a great, I'm a big fan of like uh, mentioning therapy because yeah. I think it's an amazing thing. And it's like something I finally, you know, gave into, you know, four, three or four years ago, I would not be anywhere in my mothering journey, like close to where I am now and like somewhat sane without that. So that's awesome. The therapy. I'm from a big Italian Catholic family. (laughs) So there's a lot built into that and not, and no two families are the same, but, um, just to give you a picture and like, you know, mental health is not always talked about and especially struggles in motherhood or like what it means to be like a good mom or a good woman. Right. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of unspoken expectation around that. You have to get your shit together on your own and don't. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, don't like be talking about it because like we don't want to talk about it like we're not that's a weakness yes you should be able to like manage it on your own Mm -hmm. like everyone goes through this yeah you just deal with it. which it's so true that like everyone does go through it so like why are we all pretending like it isn't like a thing that we should like yeah I mean it's yeah it's for all the reasons right right And, and weakness I guess is like the biggest one yeah weakness or like being afraid I think of being labeled like, even just then, like, I told you, right? Like, I don't have right. any significant issues, but I need support. But, like, it doesn't matter. Right. Even if I did have, like, you bipolar know, or bipolar or massive yeah. depression or whatever, like, I should still be able to say that out loud, right? But I had to qualify that for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see how I, and I didn't even realize I did that. And like, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm just getting support. <laughs> like, that's interesting, yeah. too, though, because if we think back to, like, our parents, right? Our parents grew up in, like, such a different time where mental health really wasn't that understood. Mm-hmm. So like, like you said, that's that stigma of like, Oh, you're going to the loony bin or mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're like, you know, mm-hmm. something's really wrong with you. They're going to put you on those medications or yeah. like, and then you're going to become like, you know, unres- not unresponsive, but you know what I mean? Like, a what's the word I'm looking for? Like, fa- unfazed is the word I'm, is what's coming to mind, but that's not the word I'm looking for. But you know, you're going to become like, 
glazed over and like you're yeah. like, like there's numbed out like on yeah. yeah yeah like it's just like how like weed is like this like huge thing that has this mm-hmm. huge stigma around it right and mm-hmm. like our parents like you know they're it's like in this they, they grew up in a different time period so like at some point I'm like I understand like I understand I understand like the uh like where they grew up and the like the resistance the resistance like and from, like yeah. the the um context that they're taking it from yeah um but yeah i think it should be normalized and the only way we change that is by normalizing it ourselves exactly exactly and talking about it yeah. yeah and like honestly like i said i mean they're you know for me mothering like has been so challenging like it's not always challenging but the challenges are there and i'm a better mom because i invest that time in myself yeah and talk about, you know, the thing that made me confident this week. Yeah. That, like, I would not have been able to have that conversation if it wasn't working on all those speaking up issues with my right. therapist. So yeah. it's like, uh, I just think, like, it should be, like, universal free for sure. mental health care yeah. for everyone. Yeah. yeah, it definitely should be way more accessible and way more, um, like, universal for us to be able yeah. to just go and like you said, it should be talked about like a dentist appointment. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I think the younger generation has gotten really right. Oh, yeah. Is really like um, advocating for that, really like talking about it, not being um, not being embarrassed of that. Yeah. You know? And the support on social media now. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. Like game changer. Like yes. In terms of normalization. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely way more normalized now, um, which I love. Okay, let's circle back around to your career. Yeah. And so you were in biotechnologies. I'm like, I'm going to get oh, no, right. no, oh. no. So yeah. I sound so So stupid. I started, so um, I ended up going, so when I, when I graduated college, I was graduating with a degree in theology, like re- study of religions. Really? Yeah. And I, but so I you knew, switched your major? Yeah. I ended up switching okay. like halfway through, which was a shock to like my entire, fi- you know, my dad's like, how are you going to make money? Like, what are we talking about here? And I'm like, I think I want to be a professor. Like, I think I want to teach. And I'm really into just like this whole area of study right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I took this one class like senior year in bioethics and I was like hooked. I'm like, this is so cool. Like, again, it's like shocking to me now that this is the way my path went. It's like, you never know where you're going to end up. So I um, went on to do um, graduate studies and ended up with a doctorate in healthcare ethics. I moved across the country and like did rotations in a hospital and went through this academic program. And then I'm like in this weird generation in the whole field of bioethics where it's like this older, older, like founding generation. And then there was like this lull. And then the new kids that were coming up like me and like there were probably like four other women at the time doing wow. the work. It was just it was like brand new um, in many ways um, for my generation. And so there were jobs and there were opportunities. And I ended up with a job that I probably like today wouldn't have had for like 10 years later. Wow. So I was kind of just like thrown into this yeah. into this role working in a, um, a healthcare system and and I had only been in the hospital like once before, like you said, like for great grandparents or right. something. Yeah. And so here I am like 26, like barely knowing anything about like my own life. And I'm here trying to figure out and help people figure out stuff about their wow. own lives. So talk about like with like very little confidence at the time. Like mm-hmm. I was, you know, confidence in school, like went through school and all right. that. But like real life situations. Oh, yeah. Like I was not talking back to doctors or challenging doctors at the time. Confrontation. Yeah, it was just no confrontation. So I ended up kind of just like 
having this sheltered academic existence and then being thrown into the real world. And it, so that was, that was crazy. But I kind of fell in love with, like, I've always been like, I like helping people in general, but I kind of fell in love with like, I can take the geeky academic research based side of this, put it into practice and actually like see some kind of change in the world. Like for me, that was really important. I love teaching. I could have been happy as a professor, like full-time professor, but what I loved about like the program I went into the graduate program and like the field itself is like, you are expected to have a foot in both worlds. You're Mm -hmm. expected to like do the research, like in the area that you're interested in and like move that part along in the world. But also like, how is this work in real life and how are you going to affect and like help people change their lives? So, and like help healthcare practitioners be better practitioners. That's a huge, a huge like responsibility and a huge like exciting thing that you get to be a part of like a like world changing like you were saying like that's pretty amazing yeah and it's like really mutual because like I am so shaped by the people that I am interacting with and like they're calling me for a consult but I'm learning from them because I I'm not a doctor I'm not a nurse like I don't know I know about as much about medicine that like helped me get through my job but like what I'm learning at the same time it's like so mutual so it's a really cool just like a unique field that I if someone had told me this when I was like 16 years right. old I'd be like you're smoking crack like I don't yeah. even know what <laughs> what's what I, I would not have gone into that well that that's area. like the universe's way of like putting you where you exactly where you need to be yeah like I I love that so much like because like you said it's like kind of like a niche field that like you didn't even know existed and then exactly. it's just like exactly yeah. what you are like here to do mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing yeah, and just when I started getting bored with it, I had my first child and discovered birth ethics. <laughs> yes, and, okay. So and let's that go changed into that. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So how um you were telling me earlier, but um because that the field that you were speaking about before is not the field that you're in now. So yeah, I mean, it's it is a different, kind of like version of little, it. Yeah, yeah, like a different side of it. Side so of it, yeah. yeah, tell us about how you got into that. Sure. So um I'll take it back to, um, I saw a family member go through, um, kind of a traumatic birth experience, but like as a single person with like no Mm -hmm. baby thoughts on the horizon, like I didn't, I just thought this was normal. Like no big thing. Like this is like, I'm sorry you went through this. You know, nothing about birth was on my mind and like, keep in mind, like I'm working in the ethics world. So like I have all kinds of clinical cases coming to me for consults and nothing's ever really come up around like everyday birth. Mm. Like it's usually mm-hmm. these dramatic, like okay, yeah. beginning of life things where like mom's life is threatened and that kind of okay, stuff. But yeah. like never but thought twice routine. about the average birth experience. Right. So fast forward, I had my, my old, my oldest son, my first kid was born in 2014 and about six, and I had a good birth experience. I actually had gave birth at a birth center, attended my mid- midwife. So it wasn't a home birth. It wasn't okay. a hospital birth, but it was like the, yeah. mi- the middle of that in between yeah and the reason I chose that was because after seeing my family member's situation I'm like maybe I'll try the out of hospital thing but I'm not like full home birth right. mode you know and my husband like was like I don't know about the home birth situation right. I and I'll say I know a lot of people have had really amazing home births so I am um, you know I I fully support anyone's choice and like what they do and um so I had this really amazing birth experience with my first like textbook yeah you know, all the things. So about six weeks after my son was born, I'm like, I was like feeling the postpartum anxiety and all the things. And I'm like, I need some support. So there was a store called Granola Babies in Costa Mesa, like a brick and mortar. And my, who is now a friend, Giselle Beaumet was the owner at the time. 
And she ran these amazing, like, new mom support groups. So I drug myself out of the house with a six-week-old baby. Like, didn't want to leave my... Talk about cocooning. I'm like, do not want to get in the car. Like, everything felt so, like, scary and and hard. And I went to this group, and we... It was in the back of her store, like, in this room. And we're all sitting there, like, this group of moms with, like, these tiny infants just screaming and trying to, like, feed them and all the things. And... The first thing Giselle asked us was, you know, to go around the room and share our birth experience if we were comfortable. Like, how was it for you? Mm-hmm. And so here I am, like type A overachiever, like my hand <laughs> shoots up and I'm like, mine was amazing. And I go on for like five minutes about how oh, like God. incredible, right? Cringe, cringe, cringe. How beautiful <laughs> like, this was. Because like, of course, everyone else must have the same beautiful experience. Right. And so I kid you not, when I was done with my whole situation, every woman in that room that spoke about their birth had there was a negative aspect to her experience like ranging from I don't feel like I was treated very well to like full on this feels like when I my birth experience reminded me of when I was raped when I was 19 and that was like earth shattering to hear Mm -hmm. that like what are you talking about and like anyone listening to this that's had a newborn knows your brain is just not functioning in any kind of like rational way you're in total survival mode and probably working off of like an hour of sleep and that's where I was at so as an ethicist I'm like there's a pattern in this room that is like so clearly obvious. Right. Like I want to look into this and also I'm a brand new mom and I have no capacity to like look into this. So I'm like file away the file it away. And so about a year later when I felt like I had some bearings around my new role as mom, I started researching. And then I, at this point I had left um, clinical ethics and a corporate ethics role for a big healthcare company to um, move back into a university setting Um, because my kids were young and, you know, and I thought, Hey, I might want to go this research route now. I'm really like getting into this topic and I want to like help birthing people with whatever the hell is going on here. Yeah. So I took this university job. I got a grant and a couple of research assistants and we spent a summer interviewing people all over Southern California about their birth experiences. And it was like shocking. And this was 2017 by this point, like when all the research started happening. So about five years ago. And at the time, like social media was a thing. Instagram was a thing, but it wasn't like where it is now. Right. So you didn't have a lot of people talking about these issues. So when I started posting and there were other people, but when I started posting, people are like, what are you talking about? Traumatic birth? Like what is going on? And now like hashtag birth ethics. It's like, right. You know, there are so many people doing insanely amazing work in this area. Um, but you know, not a lot of people were talking about it. And so that was kind of interesting too, to like be hearing these stories, sharing on social media, and then people like the range of like being truly interested to being offended Mm -hmm. providers, like coming Mm -hmm. at us, like, what are you talking about using like the terms obstetric violence? Like I gave a uh, ethics committee presentation the other day and I used those words and like I was on um, video, but I could see everyone like shifting in their seats. Like, what do you mean violent obstetric violence? Like what, what are you talking about? And so, you know, that experience like of like being in that new mom's group, like really starting to look into the issues. Um, I realized like, just like in other aspects of healthcare, people can be mistreated in the birth experience, but that experience is so unique because there are ripple effects, right? Mm -hmm. It affects the way you see your, if you have a traumatic birth or you feel like you've been mistreated or not respected in that experience, you go into motherhood, like starting out, like not in a good place. Right. And there are ripple effects for your family, 
and for entire communities. Like for me, that intergenerational, like that, you know, that, um, sense of like this one experience in life can affect not only that mother, that child, but families in entire communities. Right. It's, it's a, it started to feel really huge and like, okay, my career, my trajectory in ethics is like taking a whole new turn. Yeah. And that's where I've been since is focused on that kind of work. And now, like I was telling you earlier, a little experiment two years ago, I went back into another big corporate healthcare system with like the, um, the motivation to like, see, can the system really be changed? Like with the knowledge I have now and the experience, like, can I go in and, for lack of a better way of saying it, like fuck some things up and yeah. not get fired, yeah. you know? And so that's been, um, it's been a pretty, like, it's been a roller coaster experience since like being back at doing clinical ethics work after having like all this knowledge now and interaction with other people that have been really harmed in a clinical environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some questions that came up for me when I was listening is like, can you give an example of how, mm. um, something a traumatic birth story a traumatic birth experience could affect not only just you and the child but also a family and a family dynamic and how like can you give an example because I feel like people probably wonder exactly what that a lot of my listeners are probably our moms but some of them aren't so yeah absolutely yeah and even if you're a mom like your experience could be like you have zero experience of this and could still be like what are you talking about? My birth was totally fine. Right. Or you think um, it's normal. Or you think it's normal. Yes. I talked to someone the other day where they were like, well, I just expected birth to be that way. And I'm like, no. That is even scarier. Yep. 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 So um, a great example, I once, I interviewed a, a woman once who, um, she was a black woman and, um, you know, medical racism plays a role in how this all unfolds as well. Um, there have been studies that have shown that if you're a black or indigenous woman, you're three to four times more likely to experience um, trauma and even death in your um, pregnancy, birth and postpartum experiences. Okay. So um, for this particular woman, there were there were a lot of layers related to that as well. So she was... Um, mistreated by her provider her um something we talk a lot about is informed consent so Mm -hmm. are you getting the information you need to make a good decision about the direction of your care right and in birth that doesn't happen really well a lot because there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. providers are just trying to like get the baby out right and in if they're not really having conversation or communicating in a way where you feel like you've had a choice of what's happening to your body that can cause like severe ptsd right after the fact especially if things really don't go in a way that you want, like physically, mentally, all of the mm-hmm. above. So, um, you know, something I hear a lot in this particular woman, like brought up as well is, um, she felt like her husband wasn't able to advocate for her. Mm. So it impacted their relationship, but he, you know, we interviewed him as well. Right. And he was like, I felt powerless. Like you have these doctors saying right. like, we have to do this to save her life, but he wasn't involved in like the conversation. So mm. that's, that's one example I hear a lot is like, I felt like my partner, my husband, my partner, whoever it might be, didn't help. And they will say, but I felt like I couldn't help Uh, because the team has all the power and I wasn't involved and I'm just like save her life. You know, it's like, feels like this emergency situation. So then they, and I'm, and I want to say again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a trauma expert. This is just what I've heard in the interviews that I've given. So for this particular couple, the way that the, um, the mother described it was they entered into parenthood and a new like family life 
in this place of distrust and mm-hmm. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's like, why didn't you do more for me so I could have the birth experience I wanted? And he's like, the doctors are literally telling me they have to do this to save your life. What do you want me to say? I love you, you know? Yeah. So then they're entering into like this parenthood experience mm. on rocky ground, for lack of a better way of putting it. And then, um, you know, and studies have shown that like if you have PTSD from an experience like that, like it impacts the way that you parent. Oh, for and sure. that's not to put blame on someone who's been through trauma we all have in some way and it does impact the way we parent my past trauma impacts the way that I parent like I'm not always my best self you know yeah and so families can be impacted by this this pain and then you know the way we're raising kids and they go out into the community and you know it just keeps going on and on right it's this there's fascinating I'm gonna geek out and I won't go into it but there's fascinating (laughs) research on intergenerational trauma and how that is passed from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And it's not only like um, psychological, but physical. They think that trauma actually changes the body at the cellular sure. level. So sure. when I think about communities, there is the potential for those experiences to shape entire communities. Well, it's kind of like, I feel like I used to be totally, uh, you know, I wouldn't ever have said this like 10 years ago, but it's kind of ignorant for us to think that traumas don't physically affect us. Because have you ever been stressed or have you ever like (laughs) Mm -hmm. felt anything like you, I mean, what you're feeling as far as like your emotional center, like is very much connected to your physical center because I mean, the first time I ever heard of this was a girl that I worked with at a tanning salon, like like 15 years ago and we were working together and she had, um, I didn't know her until I worked there, but she had worked there a long time with another friend of mine my friend was like, Oh my God, like she used to be so skinny. She used to be totally different. And I was like, well, what happened? Um, and she was like, yeah, she always wears long sleeves because she has like eczema all over her body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what happened? And she was like, she had a very traumatic breakup mm. and she literally got developed eczema. She like has all this stress. So she like, she doesn't even really eat, but she has gained a ton of weight, right? Like mm-hmm. those are physical things that happen because of our stress and like trauma equals stress and anxiety. Right. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's kind of like, it would be like, so we wouldn't be seeing the whole picture if we said that, that, that doesn't affect generational, like generational trauma, you know, if it doesn't exist, because I mean, anything that to deal with our emotions, which is what we were talking about earlier, talking about first generation, second generation, like, that it goes through generations, you know, like you have to, you have to recognize that. So mm-hmm. that is insane that you're saying that I, that that's kind of the example that I was thinking of is mm-hmm. like having your partner stand up for you or advocate for you. And then your partner being like, well, holy shit, like they're doctors. Like what, am, how am I supposed to know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or why would I challenge them when they know best? Right. And that's something yeah. we were talking about earlier is like challenging your doctor and, yeah. um, so you help, I know that you were saying earlier that you help people know when to like stand up or how to stand up to their doctor in certain situations, right? Yeah, that's a big piece, you know, and I, I know, um, oh gosh, the, um, Kristen Pascucci, um, her, 
IG handles Birth Monopoly. Everyone should follow her, especially if you're preparing to give birth or you want more information about this. She has a course called Know Your Rights course. Okay. So she is really big. She's an expert in obstetric violence and the rights, like around your rights in the hospital, like what you have the right to say no to, mm-hmm. what you can, you know, even if there's a hospital policy, like right. she what educates you can, people like, around what you can do. So, um, so yeah, I'm really big in my ethics work around like knowing your values knowing how to speak up and reflect your values when you're even when you're in a stressful situation or you're in a situation where there's a a power dynamic that's off. So Mm -hmm. like most of us look at healthcare providers or a doctor in a white coat and you're like, you feel that power dynamic, right? right? Like they're the boss, they're the authority when it's like, no, you're the boss of your body. You're the authority, but we're not used to thinking that way and advocating for ourselves in that way. So, um, yeah, the ethics work is about like what's morally acceptable in medicine and like, should we do this or shouldn't we do this? But for me, it's also about like trusting your gut when you think there's a red flag, yeah. nurturing your intuition and making informed decisions and standing up for yourself to make those informed decisions, even when things are really challenging. Yeah. And it's so funny, like just being on your podcast around confidence, like I have not always been the most confident person. Yeah. And there are a lot of moments where I do not feel confident at all, even in those, even when I'm teaching that, right. quite honestly. Yeah. But I think like we gravitate toward what we need mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we like build that up in ourselves and try to help other people. So that is a big, like helping people speak up in medical environments is really important to me because a lot of ethical issues stem from the inability to speak up. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, speak being in the coaching world, like coaches always talk about this as like, oh, I struggle, like I'm a confidence coach, but like I still struggle with having confidence. It's like, yeah, that's the reason you are a confidence coach because (laughs) like you're, it means something to you. And like this means something to you. So it's like, that's why it's, we're in the right field because it's Mm -hmm. like, that's what drives us. That's what makes us want to do better or want to improve or want to like advocate for those people that we're like, oh shit, like I can relate to being there. And I can relate to not having that confidence to stand up to that doctor or to say what I truly feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and really <clears throat> standing up is like confidence standing up and like saying how you truly feel that comes from being confident in your gut feeling and trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so like something that resonates with me so much because Jenna will say, says this all the time too, is like your gut is never wrong. And it's so true. Like your gut is not wrong. You're like, you already have the answers inside of you of what you need to do. Like, yes. you know, like even going back to like being a kid, like, you know, you're not really supposed to do that, but you do it anyway. And you hope that you're going to get away with it. Or you hope that your mom's not going to punish you or whatever. Right. But like, we know what the gut is right. Like yep. the gut is right. So I was listening to another podcast earlier this week and she wasn't talking about um, birthing, but she was talking about um, birth control. And how she was saying how she finally got off her birth control, which I'm a huge advocate for, mm-hmm. um, for all of my friends. I'm yeah, like, I'm Did like that. to yeah, get yeah. off your birth control, yeah. track your period. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, which like do whatever you need to do. But, um, right. but she was saying how she was bringing it up to her doctor and like, she was saying like, Hey, like this birth control is making me feel like X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't really like it. Like I'd like to get it out. Um, and then even going on like a low dose, they were like, no, I think you're probably just like stressed or you're, you know, they put it on other the things. Seeds of doubt again, like don't trust yourself. Yes. Yeah. Like right. Like trucking and it's, example, like, hey, yes. do you really know what you're talking right. about? Right. You're like, yeah, I'm 
I'm the freaking expert of my own body. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm feeling. And that was her point. And she was like, mm-hmm. no, I feel like something is fucking off. Like something is off. And you are the only person who knows your body. Yeah. You're the only person who's inside there and is feeling what you're actually feeling and like experiencing all those things and knowing. So like, it's just crazy to me that like that even that has to be like a skill that we develop mm-hmm. because it's like, we should be, it's kind of like with, um, trusting yourself or being like your own number one, like fan. Um, it's like, who else is going to be like the main character? I use that one a lot. Like who else is the main character of your life? Like it's fucking you. Like why shouldn't I be the expert on my body? Yeah. Like why shouldn't I be the person that's saying that? Because we've been taught to like not listen to our body. There's a lot we don't have all the time to talk about the patriarchy <laughs> and medical school and like the way that the system is structured, but it's yeah. all a role. But like, yeah. And talk about like the birth experience. You want to be the main character. I mean, once the baby's born, it's like, let's be real. <laughs> like the baby's the main character, yeah. but like talk about a situation where you can own your power. Right. Regardless of whatever experience you choose, like as much as you can control right. and choose. Like, absolutely. But we're, we're taught in so many ways. I think women are taught in so many ways to ignore the voice to um defer to authority and they are the ex you know i mean come on we uh, we need brain surgery we all want a really like amazingly educated doctor right that's gonna like tell us what we need to do but there are but for normal everyday like low risk birth experiences the the dynamic there is a little extreme in my experience for sure yeah 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 i think um you know going a lot with renee's dad to the um to the hospital lately is like I see that dynamic more and more where mm-hmm. like not only of like the doctor is the expert, I'm going to do whatever the doctor says. Um, and we're like, Renee and I are over here. We're obviously much younger and we're like, let's question this. Like, mm-hmm. why do we need to do this? Like, I don't think this is correct. Like we're doing our own research, like looking up online. Mm-hmm. And of course, like you said, like we need the doctor and we're there, you know, at the appointments, like asking questions, doing the things. But at the same time, like we have our own brain mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, Like, we don't have to do this, I don't think. Like, you know, I think we can try other um, alternative methods, and we can definitely try them in conjunction with this. Mm -hmm. Um, But that questioning is, like, not – it's, like, not in our – it's not taught. Yeah. Until now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, things are really moving in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. You see a backlash, though. I have a friend that's an OB, and she always says – I hate when my patients bring in their TikToks and like they're showing me their TikToks. I can and, like, understand how that I, can be frustrating. I get that too, but also like there's a part of me that's like, I'm so excited people are like bringing in the TikToks and advocating or right. asking questions because it's a way to ask questions. Yes. A vehicle for when it's uncomfortable. Exactly. I yeah. was going to say like, even if you don't, like even if you, even if the TikTok is incorrect or yeah. even if the TikTok doesn't take into account like every scenario, every variable, right? Which is obviously going to happen. Yeah it's still a vehicle for people to ask questions and it gets people knowing or thinking like, Hey, maybe something else is the option. Like, you know, and it's like, um, well even like we can get off on so many subjects, but like it has me thinking about like, I don't know if you watched like the fungi, um, documentary on Netflix. I haven't seen it. I've seen it pop up, but I haven't watched it. Okay. So it's kind of about like, um, how fungus like is pretty much everywhere and how it's actually has like a ton of healing powers and, um, you know, medicinal, um, mushrooms and stuff like that, which is very common in other, um, cultures, Cultures, but not here. 
And it's looked at as like, a lot of times it can be looked at as like a negative, kind of like what we were talking about with like um, THC and CBD. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because it's like, we have this like view of how it is and we just look at it from that view. Mm-hmm. Like we don't ever, like even that we like take into like, oh, like maybe that's true, but I'm still going to st- stand by this old role. So yeah. It's almost like we're we're shifting and I feel like that shift coming and I feel like it's it's here and it's, you know, like you said, like at least it's a vehicle for us to ask questions and to like start the conversation, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, just exactly like with that um, mushroom documentary, I think yeah. that's like a great way for people to start seeing like, oh, there's other alternative medicines out there. There's other mm-hmm. things. You don't have to just go through what exactly the medical system is doing and which that's a whole different podcast of like what is being like pushed and stuff like that, which I would love to have you back on. Oh, I would love to talk about (laughs) that. I'm like, um, we need to talk about that too. Yeah. It's crazy though, because like the more people (laughs) demand like alternatives, like the market responds. So in our own health system, um, we have a hospital that's built up this whole, um, practice around midwifery and offering like alternative alternatives and laboring like birth pools and things like that. And it's been really popular because there's a popular birth center in the area and that place is flourishing and they're seeing that more birthing people are moving toward wanting like right. this different environment yeah. to give birth in for various different reasons, like, yeah. um, because of the things that can go on. So like, is it Michael Pollan who always like, like, um, Oh God, what was the book he wrote? Omnivore's Dilemma. Um, and he's basically like, you know, advocating for good food, like organic food and stuff. Okay. He's like, you vote with your fork. Like yes, the more do. we consume of that thing the market's going to respond well, and like bring it to the people. Vegan is like, yeah. you know, had a huge like influx in the last like 10 years yeah. because people ask for it. Right. Yeah. So now everybody has, everybody stuff has a on vegan their option. Yeah. yeah. They've got to have a vegan but, option. Yeah. It's like yeah. we, the market is responds to what we. Yeah. Ask we for. have more power than we think. For sure. Consumers. <laughs> and let's we be are honest. The power. We're consuming Consumer is the power. Healthcare. Yeah. The consumer has, has the power. So, I mean, I mean, I'm an ethics geek and like people hear the word ethics and they probably think of some like horrible class they had to take like freshman year (laughs) and like suffer through like some required class. Right. But like for me, ethics is like there are layers, ethical questions and like these central like life changing questions about who we are as people like permeates all of what we do. For sure. And like when you are going and choosing like the more humane option, if you're a vegan or whatever, you know, however you want to think about that. Like, that is an act of advocacy. That's an act of defiance, it can be. It, that's an act of um, choosing an ethical path that relates to your own values. So, I mean, like, again, I could just go on and on. But, like, that <laughs> happens, like, at all layers of, yeah. like, the world we live in, whether we know we're doing it or not. For sure. So people have the power to create change, and that's one way to do it. It's a yeah. really powerful way to do it. It is. Yeah. And I think it's, like, a good way for us, speaking back to confidence, is, like, it's a great way for you to, like, build up that muscle of like standing up for yourself is like in small ways you know like asking for the vegan option if you're vegan or asking for like the gluten-free or whatever you know like and asking and something Renee really taught me is like Mm. you never know if you don't ask so Mm -hmm. you're just assuming that they're not going to do it or like 
you know, he yeah. is like the person that will ask anything and he'll be like, that's awesome. Uh, you guys have this sandwich and it's cold. Could you grill it? Like, oh God. See, that gives me like, I feel the feels when you even say that. Cause I've always been like the people pleaser. Oh, I know. And like, I don't want to inconvenience someone. And it's like, no, yes. I am paying for this sandwich. Yes. Give me what I want. <laughs> yes. I feel like I never used to do that. And he does that with everything. Really? Even to the point of like at our Thanksgiving dinner, like we don't heat up the rolls you know, like you yeah. Yeah, eat yeah, like yeah. cold rolls and he right. doesn't like cold bread. So he's like, everyone's sitting down, everyone's plate is made and Renee's like at the, Renee's on the stove grilling his roll. Oh my gosh. Or asking my mom to do it. But <laughs> you know, and he's like, he's doing that. And I'm like, at first, like when we first got together, I was like shuddering because I was like, oh my God, the disrespect. Like, yeah, yeah. He's you not just like what's given to you. Yeah. Just yeah. take and don't ask. And he was like, why am I, I don't want to eat it that way. Like, yeah. I'm not going to eat it that way. I'm not being rude. Like I'm, I'm going to, I can do it myself. That's no problem. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not like throwing it against the wall. Don't you think it would be more disrespectful for me to like not eat it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's, guess really that's very true. So I forget how much growth I've had in, in that aspect. But then I have people like my sister or my mom come and they're like, they don't do those things as much. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. I used to like totally. Yeah. Yeah. the exact same thing but I mean like asking for what you want and at least asking is like a huge way to and starting with stuff small like the vegan or yeah. whatever um, dietary restrictions or even like things you just don't like like that is a very small way of starting to exercise that muscle of being able to like stand up for yourself and advocate mm-hmm. for what you want absolutely yeah. like you can do that little choices in your daily life and that, like you said, that all adds up and builds it does. up our confidence, whether we're aware of it or not. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes I think what can happen is like we let all these things pass, you know, and then they are in the back of our mind. They're like festering and fermenting and then we're like, explode. Yeah. And then we file like a lawsuit yeah. or we like, exactly. you know, and then exactly. we're like, actually, I yeah. hate everything about you. And the doctor, I'm sure this has happened where the doctor is like, well, what the heck? Like you never, no one said anything. Yeah. And that's almost sometimes true. I could uh, um, see from the from the opposite perspective is like, you know, if you're like, you know, if we're not, if I'm telling you all this and I'm sure the power is abused, right? But if in their eyes, they're probably like, I already told them like X, Y, and Z and Z and Z mm-hmm. and they didn't say anything, yeah. right? Yeah. If that's another responsibility on the doctor to make sure that your client understands and mm-hmm. all that, but... Um, I'm acting like I know what the fuck I'm talking about, no, but I'm totally like, no, no. <laughs> you're like a human that I'm sure has been in a healthcare situation at some point. Right. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but you've been in conversation with doctors right. or nurses or so. Yeah. No. Yeah. And a lot of times I feel like a, a doctor could probably think that we understand, but we don't. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I'm just saying like, you know, we have to advocate for ourselves yeah. and we have to ask the questions because yeah. And practicing if we don't, for no those one's big asking moments. for us. Yeah. Yeah. And practicing in the small moments. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That's like, yeah, that's I, a really good way to think about it. Yeah. When I was, I was vegan for a little while and vegetarian after that and then pescatarian. And, um, it's hard to ask, but then when you're like vegan, vegan, like you have to be asking because mm-hmm. you have to be like, Hey, I'm going to this, whatever it is. And are you going to have an option there for me? And if yeah. not, I'm going to bring my food with me and then. Like that actually gave me a lot of confidence to be like, Hey, like I'm not Mm -hmm. happy with this or Hey, I need this please or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. 
but that that's like a small thing that it's not that small, but continually doing it is what builds that muscle. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the reason that Andrea said that we were, we should meet and we should talk. Um, I'll let you go into it because I'm like, I know your story's going to, about it's going to be way better than anything that I can well, Say. yeah, so, <laughs> like, minor segue to surfing. <laughs> like, you like, cue the little music, and now we're back. But, you know, <laughs> let's connect it. Like, trauma, okay, so we all have our traumas, right? We yeah. talked about how we carry it in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the work I do is pretty intense. Yeah. And anyone working in healthcare, you know, it's intense. And I found myself, like, at a point where I'm like, I need to do something. Like, I have tried all the workouts, all the things. Like, I used to be extremely active, like pre-kids like I I ran a marathon I trained for a triathlon um and interestingly enough was super not confident at that stage in my life yeah I oh man talk about body issues like I could run 26 miles but I thought I was fat and my body sucked and this was like an accident that I could move my body in this way so I remember around that time so like I was like 30 Thinking like I would, I've born and raised in Southern California around surf culture, like my mm-hmm. whole life. Um, but, and I remember thinking like around the time I was 30 and doing all these like amazing like activities that, um, and in the best shape of my life, really like in terms of endurance right. and everything, um, thinking like, I really would love to learn to surf, but I'm just too big for that. And I'm not in good enough shape, which is like laughable because yeah. I was literally like, I could go run and like ride my bike up a mountain, you know, it yeah. was just insane. And I've always wanted to learn. So, um, last year, and, um, this is where Andrea, our friend connected us because I was talking to her. She was asking me about how surfing lessons were going because about a year ago I decided like, you know, and I was at my, my heaviest at that time. And I didn't even know if they would have a wetsuit that would fit me. But I just one day I was like, I'm just going to go take a lesson. Like, I'm terrified. Right. I don't know how this is going to go. I've always loved the ocean, but there's still like something about being further out in the waves right. with yeah. a board, like in a, you know, whatever that looks like. It's terrifying to me, but I'm going to do it. And my dad actually took a lesson with me for the first time. Love that. I could barely get up on my knees, but I was like, and they had a wetsuit that like, it was a, at the time a men's wetsuit that I like probably a double X men's wetsuit that I could barely squeeze into, but I did it. And I walked down the beach and into the water with the giant surfboard and did this thing. And it was like, you know, it was probably hilarious to watch, but my dad and I did this together. And then I signed up for another lesson. Like this was last summer and then another lesson. And then I like, it was May of this year. And I'm like, this summer, I'm going to, like, do this thing. Yeah. I came back. They had new wetsuits for women in, like, extended Love. sizes. And I was like, you guys have me as a customer for life now. Like, this surf's cool. Like, I am, I'm a fan. And so I got into, like, it was, like, way more comfortable. Yeah. I finally felt like, okay, like, I can move in this. Like, we're going to do this. And I've taken, so this summer I've taken about five or six lessons and I can like stand up on the surfboard now yes. and I'm going Monday for my cousin's birthday. And it's, it's crazy because the confidence that this has brought to me is like life changing. Something about, I think the act of just saying yes to something that's scary yes. and uncomfortable. And when you've had like body issues or concerns about your size, but you're like doing one of the most vulnerable things ever, like putting on a wetsuit. Oh God. Yeah. Like, which is hilarious to watch by the way, like half my energy is taken up by just putting the wetsuit on. I think even for anybody, like <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting. It's really yeah. Yeah. So 
Like you don't have to be overweight for that to be exhausting. But then like we correlate that with being out of shape. Yeah, exactly. Because you're just like, oh my God, like everyone else is probably just slipping theirs on, but not really. But we just correlate it that way. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like this is going to be hard because I'm so big or whatever. And, um, so like putting that on and just walking down the beach for someone that like used to never even walk around in a swimsuit without right. a cover up, even when I was in the best shape of my life, I felt like cover up. Like how many times I sat on the beach and didn't actually enjoy the water because of the way I felt about my body. Yeah. And so here, like talk about a major act of self-liberation. Sure. I'm like putting on the skin tight <laughs> wetsuit yeah. and trying this new thing at age. I was 42 when I started trying this new thing as like a mom of three and like the kids teaching me are like fresh out of high school. Right. I'm like old enough to be their mom. Like absolutely. Right. And to come back like week after week and do this thing, like it's been, um, so profound for me in confidence building and just bringing me happiness and joy. Yeah. And, you know, I look different than a lot of the surfers out there, but there's also this really amazing community around body positive um, surfers now. That's there's amazing. a couple, like, if you're into this, um, Curvy Surfer Girl on um, Instagram is one. Kanoa Green, I believe is her name, is another one. Um, there's, like, this whole movement now in surfing around body positivity. So, again, the market's responding. Like, the yeah. guy's now carrying the, like, extended size wetsuits. Yeah. And I told them, I'm like, you guys need to hold retreats for like yes. moms my age that like are yeah. want to get into their bodies and experience like work out this trauma and this stress in their lives. And then also like do something that really is meaningful, connects you to your body in a way that's not shameful. It's like powerful. It's yeah. powerful. Well, I feel like speaking on like the body positive part and like the body. I'm like, is mine recording that long? I oh, see it God. going. Yeah, I'm like speaking about like the body positive and like being um, regarding like the mom aspect is I feel like a lot of times with um, like, is that better, 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 better? Was it low? Was I talking like super low? No, it's mine that's like super low. Oh, no. But it's okay. I'm loud enough there. It'll be able to be heard. But I'm thinking about like a lot of times with my um, with my clients, it's like people that I, I always assumed that people that I would be helping would be people that have been overweight their entire life and never felt enough mm-hmm. because that was me. But then looking back, I'm or now seeing my clients, I'm like looking back where, um, no, looking at my clients now, I'm like a lot of times it's people that never struggled with their weight. And then now they had kids yeah, or they had a traumatic experience or they just got older and then they don't know how to really navigate this new body. And like, what I was thinking about is like, imagine if you're, were a surfer and you surfed at one time and then you weren't able to surf any, or you thought you weren't able to surf anymore because your body changed, you became a mom, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the surf shop to like try again and they don't have a wetsuit that fits you. Then mm-hmm. you automatically are like, God, I'm like this, like, I've totally lost my mojo. I can't go to do this sport that I used to do. Like, that's how we start to develop those things of like, you know, the mom bod shame Mm -hmm. and like, you know, that's how those things happen. And so it's like the extended sizes isn't only for people who have never surfed before and who want to get into surfing, but it's also just because we have to, we need to be inclusive to like people who maybe surfed before and like, have their body has changed and that doesn't Mm -hmm. affect their ability to surf or to do anything no I thought I wouldn't be able to do it I'm like I'm too heavy sure I'm too out of shape 
there's, there's no way. And there were people in my life that were discouraging about it. Like, oh, you've got to have really like a ton of upper body strength for that. Like there's no way. Yeah. And that's not what it's about at all. Like, by the way, P.S. What's the quote? Like, never take advice from someone who's never, never been where you're going. Yeah. Like, that's that's another so funny, iteration of like to give that advice. learning for me around this. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, and so the first time I did it and I stood up on the board, like, I can't even explain that feeling because it was like the culmination yeah. of like all the things I had been struggling with. And like, no, I literally can do this. Yeah. And I mean, arguably, like in terms of endurance and like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst shape of my life, but I can still do this thing because it's in it's it's been really transformative. Well, I think yeah. you're the majority of women who think that they can't do things because of their weight, like um, even paddle boarding for me. Yeah, like we bought these paddle boards, um, Renee and I. And um, that's cool. I really thought like get up on this paddleboard I'm gonna sink this paddleboard mm-hmm. that's literally what I thought and it's like so stupid when you really think of it because I'm like dude it's literally like a buoyant object that will not sink <laughs> yes, like it will not sink yes. I'm like it will not sink on you like there's mm-hmm. no way like um like you have to be like 500 pounds to sink this yeah. thing um and so I'm like no there's no way like you know but I I, I literally was terrified mm-hmm. and I was like I thought, like, I'm going to go out there. I'm not going to have enough core strength. I'm not going to have enough, like, arm strength to do this. And I'm just going to make a complete fool out of myself. And Renee mm-hmm. was the one who was like, we're buying these paddle boards. And I'm like, buying them? Like, we don't need to we're buy committing? them. Like, like, there's a commitment happening dude, And they're, like, they're literally, like, 15 feet long. Like, they're so long. And yeah. I'm like, we went to go pick them up. And I was like, I'm like, like, these things are not even fit in our fucking truck. Like, but same thing getting on is like cathartic and I was like oh my god and I'm I was way better than Renee because I actually do I work out a lot more than him because like I need to for mental health but yeah like I had a lot more core strength a lot more stability um but everyone I told about that experience everyone I told every woman that I told was like oh my god like I've wanted a paddleboard but I feel mm. like I probably wouldn't be able to do it I'm too like overweight I'm like, we sabotage ourselves before we even know like everyone yeah. I thought I was the only one feeling that way but yeah. it's like so universal I feel mm-hmm. like so it's definitely like I when she told me that story and she was just or she just mentioned it I was like I can totally relate to that like, and I'm so sure that so many women can relate to wanting to do something, mm-hmm. but feeling like your weight is holding you back, whether yeah. that's active, whether that's taking your shirt off at the beach, mm-hmm. whatever it is, you yeah. know? Yeah. And perspective is everything. Like I look back at that 30 year old girl and I'm like, you should have been like out in a bikini, like right out in like on vacation this summer. I told myself <laughs> like, I'm not going to cover up. Like this summer when we were on vacation, we were on an island in like the Adriatic Sea. And I'm like, I'm not going to cover up. I'm going to, and having a daughter has really helped because I'm like, I want her to just see me like, like going into the ocean, Mm -hmm. like, like any other thing, like fearless. And, um, but I mean, when I think of like my twenties and, and around the time I hit 30, like I, you wouldn't have caught, like I was in a one piece, like fully covered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now, yeah. Like you said, perspective is everything. You look yeah. back and you're like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I wish exactly. I looked like that. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I could run that far and like my surf, I'd be out there like, yeah, freaking <laughs> doing all the things if I had the endurance. I, you yeah. know, if I had, if I had gotten over myself or been able to like see beyond like the limitations when I was 30, like I could have already been surfing for 13 years right. and had that like endurance going. But 
And I, and I told myself too, like, oh, I'm too old to start this, which is like, so that's been my new like limiting belief. Like Uh I'm too old. I'm over 40. Like this is crazy. Yeah. Um, sounds weird saying that out loud because I do not feel <laughs> like however that age is supposed to feel. I don't feel that way at all. But um, don't you feel still like a kid? I yes. Still feel like a child. I feel like a child. And I'm like, what is happening? I look I'm in like, the mirror and I'm like, who an adult, is that? Like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, wait. I'm yeah, yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's another thing. Like, I'm too fat and too old, right? And it's like, mm-mm. And this has brought me so much happiness. Like, it's so much fun. That's and amazing. other people, I'm dragging people along with me now. So if you ever want to take a yeah, lesson. Yeah, I do actually. I would love for you to come with me. Yeah, I would like to take a lesson. Um, I've literally like, you know, I grew up in Texas. So surfing to me was always like very California. Like, oh yeah, God, like I thought I could be like, I always wanted to move to California. Literally since really? probably I saw any movie. I was like, I'm out of here. I hate Texas. Uh, um, but I mean, I do love Texas too. But um, but yeah, so I would love to go. That would be that awesome. That would be awesome. Like yeah. we're going to do it for okay, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, the ocean does kind of scare me though. Yeah. You know, it's still, I grew up in the ocean, but it's still <laughs> it's like, kind of scary. I stepped on a stingray it. last time, ah! but it didn't sting me, but ah! my husband's been stung recently, but the key is just to shuffle your feet. Okay. It's yeah. all good. But the, my point is like, <laughs> let's acknowledge there are scary things. Cause that's half, like when you do the thing, that's half of it. It's like, yeah, I'm like, you can I'm brag, like... you know, like there's stingrays out there and like giant, you know, big waves, but I did this thing. anyway. Yeah. that We'll pick a good day older, though. We'll pick a chill day. Getting older, I'm scared of everything. Really? You feel like more... I'm not... I guess I'm like always considered myself a little bit more of like a daredevil. Like, you know, I was like riding the roller coaster. I would wear these like giant shoes too, Six Flags, like that had um, <laughs> a huge platform because I wanted to ride, wanted to be tall enough to uh-huh. ride. So like I've never been scared of things like that, like adrenaline things. And getting older, I am scared of some things now. And mm. it's a weird feeling because I'm like, I think we think we've had too many life experiences and we start thinking about the you know, bad the things shit that, that can happen. happen. Yeah. I would have never thought about a stingray like years ago. I would have yeah. never thought about that. Not at all. Not Until, at all. Until um, actually one of my other friends, she's a surfer uh-huh. and she surfs in, um, uh, it's Bolsa Chica. That's where I surf. Yeah. yeah. So she was That's... literally like, dude, it's riddled with stingrays. It is. It's like stingray city because they're like these wetlands behind. Yeah. It's like breeding ground for the stingrays. Right. But that's what they're known for. And so, like... Yeah, she was saying the first time she got stung. So I think she got stung on, like, her first or second lesson. Yeah. And she was, like, said that that's when she realized how many there were there because there's so many stations where they're just, like, everyone's, like... Exactly. Everyone's just, like... Oh my God, like there's so many people here that got I know. stung. You know what's going to happen now when I go on Monday because we've been talking about it. Oh God, <laughs> no, I'm not putting that on not. you. Take it back. I just Take jump it back. on the board as soon as I can. I'm like, okay, Literally, I'm yeah. not touching the ground. Yeah. There are ways to avoid it. Yeah, but yeah I like, it's the unknown, you know? It's that's the unknown. scary part. Yeah, that's the scary part. I was at a beach in Texas, I think it had to be like Padre or something, where um, it's clear and there's so many freaking jellyfish. Oh, really? And I was like, oh my God, how did I just like, as a kid, I just go out as far as I can and like uh-huh. catch the biggest wave. But like now I'm like, there's so many, like, how did I never get stung as a child? Oh my gosh. You know, like there's so many stingrays. Any, I mean, um, jellyfish, jellyfish and stingrays and other things <laughs> that are in there that it's just like, oh. yeah. Yeah. It's hard because you can't, like, our water is so muddy and yes, murky here. You can't, you can't see. it's like a metaphor for life. Like you can't see it. You're freaked out. Like yeah. do it anyway. Like you yeah. don't know what the future holds. You don't know what's under the water. But like if you can get through it, like your capacity for joy and like capacity for resilience can like be just go off the charts yeah yeah okay plug yourself 
Plug yourself. Plug myself. Oh my gosh. Okay. Plug yourself. So we'll be done so we can eat. (laughs) I mostly hang out on Instagram. I'm no trauma mama on Instagram. Um, people always think I'm like linked below. Yeah. Everything's linked, linked in there. Um, I do a thing every Monday, most Mondays called medical ethics Mondays. So if you're a healthcare practitioner, if you're interested in this healthcare ethics thing, I interview people, I talk about a topic usually every Monday, 9am Pacific time. So it's another way to connect with me. I'm on, um, no trauma mama.com. If you want to know a little bit more about me and what I do. And yeah, that's, those are the main spots right now. And even though you work for a healthcare company, mm-hmm. healthcare provider. Yeah. Healthcare system. Right? Own system. A bunch, they run a bunch okay. of hospitals. Yeah. Um, I'm like, so not fluent in this, um, topic. So I'm literally like, I question myself every time. Oh, that's I speak. okay. You're all you're um, doing it. But even though you work for them, you also teach courses. Yeah, I correct? do. Yeah, yeah, I do. So can you so, tell us some about that? Yeah. The way to connect, like if you're interested, um, more about, um, issues in birth ethics, um, rights and healthcare, um, speaking up for yourself, confidence, whether you're a provider or like a, just a patient or someone who might be a patient one day, because I do a lot of work with providers too. Okay. Like, um, you can find all that on my website. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. No trauma mama.com. Perfect. And yeah. I'll have it linked for you guys down below. Um, I'm literally like obsessed with this combo. Oh, I'm I so think glad. It's be so I love good. talking to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's... I, and we, we need to go surfing and document yes. all the surfing adventures yeah. and then recruit people who are listening right now yes to come and do it with us yeah local Southern California people that would be amazing um I'm I think this is going to be like very transformative I'm like really excited I love giving getting a different perspective than like this is like something I never even you know I've never even touched my toes in anything medical so yeah um I'm literally scared of like getting my blood drawn so I'm like and Mm. would never be anywhere near the medical (laughs) field at all so I love that so much because I'm like yes like spill all your knowledge give the people like everything because this is like exactly what so many women struggle with and Mm -hmm. it needs to be like we were saying like normalized talked about and given power so yeah i love it yeah thank you so much you're welcome thanks Thanks for for having me yeah um okay so i will talk to you guys oh i think yeah by this time you guys will already know i'm so bad at being um on the right time with you guys but you guys will already know by this time that um, we are once a week. So we're back to once a week. Every Tuesday is when we will be up. You guys already know this because I'm uploading probably like six episodes before this one, but, um, in real time, that's another reason why I wanted to be once a week again, because in real time, I wanted to be more in real time with you guys where you're, I'm interviewing someone and it goes live two weeks later, not six, seven, eight weeks later. So, um, that's another win for me this week. So if we were doing weekly wins, that would have been my weekly win. So until next week, I will see you guys and don't forget to let your confidence shine. Hey, that was so fun. Yeah.